December 28th, 1912. The first municipal streetcars open in San Francisco, taking tourists to see the house from the opera La Full House. Welcome to The Revisionist. I hate myself. <laughs> I'm Brian uh, Flynn. I'm Zach Powers. <laughs> and joining us for a very special episode, uh, please welcome back Shannon Camp, everyone. Hi, I'm so happy to be here with you in person, Brian, instead of uh, leaning in on the video call like usual. That's right. I'm still leaning in, though, because, yeah. of the, because of the way everything's set up. Shannon's in Colorado. I'm still in Chicago. Yep. <laughs> she went alone to the place that I'm from, and she has no connection to it. No, I, I have a connection to it. I'm stealing your life. I'm stealing uh-huh. your family. Yeah. We talked about this. I'm sorry. We talked uh, about this off air. you. I think that's... Is that what that movie was about? Yeah, I mean... <laughs> It's like, why are you? It's it's like you're stealing bread out of a trash can. <laughs> like, great, take it. Like, what? Nobody wants this. Are you saying that Shannon is a raccoon? <laughs> uh, sure. That was uh, my elementary school. If you're stealing my life, my elementary school mascot was raccoons. So that's the thing you should know. <laughs> I am a raccoon. I'm cute. I have great eye makeup and tiny little dexterous hands. Yes. It's a raccoon. <laughs> Uh, also, that other voice you heard was Jen Colick, who is also here. I'm in Chicago with Zach. Shannon and I just switched for the week. It's like a... It's a, it's a wife swap. <laughs> <laughs> this is the wife swap episode oh. of The Revisionist. I gotta go. Okay. <laughs> ABC's wife swap. Nothing kinky. Don't worry. I can't believe that was a show. It was a show. Existed. Yeah. I mean, I, I saw it with my own eyes. It but gave like, us that I mean, meme listen. about the kid who only loves chicken nuggets. What? <laughs> You're going to have to look this up on your own time. I yeah. know that all of the listeners already know what I'm talking about. I assume every contestant on that show, both the husband and the wife, at some point in a conversation, they were like, should we sign up for a show called Wife Swap? So <laughs> it's not like they were hoodwinked. They knew what was up. It's on the tin. <laughs> yeah, that, okay, that's true. I thought this was Wife Swap, where we, <laughs> where we just learn proper Q-tip techniques. You stay away from me. (laughs) One person thought it was wife swamp, which is just a swamp that's full of wives. Drown under the water like that scene in Lord of the Rings. Oh no. Oh no. Maybe. It's a little more like my scene, honestly. I mean, if you were fucked up enough to sign up for wife swamp, then wife swamp is actually a step down. Then you're Alan Moore at that point, really. Yeah. <laughs> on, this, on this podcast. <laughs> on this podcast, we swap We others. do do some swapping. We swap Hell yeah, we do. the real history with bullshit banana crazy histories. We talk about one person or event or topic from history. And history stops being polite. One person gives the... We say government sanctioned. What we actually mean is the Wikipedia version of that person or event from history. I use Wikipedia as a backbone from some of my other research. Thank you. Uh, I use it almost exclusively. (laughs) Everyone knows from how long and annoying my episodes are that I'm definitely not just sticking to Wikipedia. Uh, And then somebody else prevents presents. Uh, prevents. Uh, prevents that history be from becoming the truth by giving us a crazy alternate version that could be as 
Wild and fucked up as you like. It can have a wife swamp <laughs> in it. It's be. whatever you want it to be. It can have a wife swap or a wife swap swamp or a wife swab <laughs> or a wife swan. What yeah. about a wife? If you marry a swan. What yeah, about a wife swab when Portman. you cook up a pigeon? <laughs> yeah, so we could have that in it too. It's whatever you like. Uh, Christmas time. <laughs> um, Christmas. Edition. Although this will come can't out after tell, Christmas. So. Can't you tell this is a holiday episode from what's already happened? Yeah, it's, it's our last episode of the decade, so fuck you. Um, oh, hey. <laughs> okay. That's to the, that's stay to here the with listener. Brian. That's to the listener. That was, that was aimed at the listener. Um, <laughs> and that sorry. makes it better? <laughs> you say that all... Listeners are used to it by now. <laughs> uh, you say right. that also sort of implies that, like, there was a scene at the end of Wife Swap where they're like, do you want to make this Wife Swap permanent? <laughs> there should have been. What there's was the point? There's got to be at least one episode where they're like, we fell in love a little bit. What's the point if there's no options for permanent Wife Swap? <laughs> no stakes. Yeah. Was it, it was TLC that had trading spouses, the, like the Wife Swap no, knockoff? No, they had Left Eye Lopez. <laughs> um, and T-Boz and, and Chili. Yeah. yeah. We know. <laughs> um, regardless... Then we vote on what becomes the true history of this brilliant, blue, you know, aquatic, mostly, but 40% landmass, <laughs> atmosphere-having, Goldilocks zone marble we call the world going forward. And that's the premise of the podcast. Last time uh, we did- Sorry, I'm sorry, I have a question. What if in my alternate history we're not bound to the earth? Uh, that's going to have implications Perfect. for every other alternate history, but sure, do what you want. We don't, we don't actually pay attention to the alternate histories after they get voted on anymore anyway, so. Hey. tell me in your version, one of the little women is Dr. Manhattan. I mean, I wish I could say that's the case, but I came up with something else I mean, equally spicy for first you. First of all. We did just start watching Watchmen. First of all, last right. time we talked about James Tip, Tip, Tip Tree Jr., <laughs> a.k.a. Alice B. Sheldon. Uh, we don't have the results yet. He's mad at his own mouth. <laughs> We're recording too soon to have the results of that uh, exciting episode, so you still have time to listen to it and figure out the mystery. And this time we're doing not The Little Women, but Louisa May Alcott. The Little Women, I mean, so far are fake people, not real. Um, but in the alternate history, what? they could become real. What are you talking about? <laughs> the li little Joe and Beth and Amy and Meg are not real people <laughs> as of this moment. Okay. Well. Just, to, just to clearly establish, the topic for this episode is Louisa May Alcott. Exactly. Because and they have gotten writers. lost in the shuffle of whatever you are trying to express. Presently, the little woman cannot be Dr. Manhattan because it, at the moment... <laughs> Well, Brian's going to prove moment, you wrong. At the moment, they're real. So Dr. Manhattan is yeah, real. Is well, that what you're what saying? <laughs> can we can we call Mars and leave him a message? Uh, that's the episode we just finished. Zach spends a lot of time in that phone booth. <laughs> I don't know what goes on. Uh, with just Gene Smart Listen, knocking on the door. You've probably listened to this podcast before. You don't need me to explain it. <laughs> Brian's doing the real history. Shan's doing the fake one. <laughs> This is not fair. There could be people tuning in who found this podcast because of my podcast. Yeah, let's, before we get into the real history. I'm sorry, but I want to make it clear what this episode is at least about. Yeah. It's about Louisa like, Alcott. We've said it three times. 
Um, yeah, no, before we get into the uh, actual history, which I did, sort of to my surprise, um, because, Shannon, you host um, Little Women, a uh, modern audio drama. Yes, I do. I host it. I produce it. I write it. I play Joe. And I just put the whole ding darn thing together. Unlike this podcast, it's family friendly. Um, so if you're looking for a yeah, family, get your fucking family out of here. <laughs> I'm 100 more drunk than I usually am. Uh, also, you've had three sips of wine, so he's, that's accurate. He's had yes, three indeed. sips of wine from a tiny glass. A so very it's a thimble. Small. He's doing a Tinkerbell <laughs> serving today. Uh, but yeah, it's a family friendly podcast. So if you're like, oh, this winter school break just won't end, I need someone to talk to my kids who's not me. Uh, <laughs> It's the story of Little Women as performed by a full cast. The story unfolds episode by episode. All of our episodes are like 20 minutes long. I tried to keep them short because I know that like a lot of times if you're a young person or if you're tuning in for just a little something, um, it's nice to keep it short. But yeah, at this point, you could binge a bunch of them if you so chose. And I chose not to do the real history, even though I'm extremely passionate about Louise May Alcott and Little Women, because I also do, on top of all of that work, I also host nonfiction bonus episodes of the podcast where I interview people about historical or social subjects related to Little Women uh, yeah, and I'm so happy to be here doing something that's really different from either of those halves of my podcast. I came up with an alternate history um, for the first time for this show, and I'm so excited. I really am looking forward to it, to sharing it with you. Hell yeah. Um, which, great, I will. I think I, if there's any glaring holes in my actual history, please jump in and fill them in. Louisa uh, Alcott, middle name unknown. <laughs> <laughs> Louisa May Alcott, I don't know. Um, was she or wasn't she? <laughs> was born in. sometime in the 21st century? Honestly, century? I'm so glad you took the alternate because when I thought maybe I would have to do it, that was as far as I got. <laughs> it was just like the pun Louisa May Alcott. <laughs> Where she was just not certain of anything. Yeah, it's the day after Star Wars Day is Louisa May Alcott Day. <laughs> I wish. What a treat. What a dream. But uh, we all know that the official Louisa May Alcott holiday is Christmas. We're not We're not celebrating Star Wars Day anymore. It's problematic. It's like Columbus Day. It's being changed. <laughs> <laughs> being changed to Louisa May Alcott Day. I, I still have not seen the, the movie. Uh, I am uh, well, I'm honestly might see cats first. There's enough discussion of it on the internet. Yeah, please. I came here to get away from Star Wars discourse, not to dive into it. Uh, what about the cats discourse? Can we can we get into the cats? Except for Shannon's new history, as there were Louisa Alcott was three people: Ray, Poe, <laughs> and Finn. Oh no! She was actually an anthropomorphic cat. Oh, she was Jason Derulo as a cat. Um, and James Judy Dench apparently licking her CGI butt. I yep. can't wait to see it. It'd movie. be easy to throw Jellicle in there because it doesn't fucking mean anything. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and everyone gets sent to the heaviside layer. Um, it's cats. It makes no sense. Okay, Brian, uh, go. <laughs> uh, so, want to say before I get started, uh, my primary sources for this were, of course, um, Blessed Mother Wikipedia, uh, the National Women's History Museum. And uh, some a couple of things from uh, Mental Floss, uh, which is a great magazine if you are on the toilet. Uh, 
So Louisa May Alcott was born uh, November 29th, 1832 in Philadelphia in what is now the neighborhood of Germantown. Uh, shout out. That's where my dad went to college. Uh, Whoop, Brian's dead. Whoop. That's maybe how you know it. It sounds like a musical from like the mid to like 2004. <laughs> is their mascot the Fighting Joes? I wish it was. Oh, it's just sorry. I'm caught between like Urinetown and now like it's somewhere Avenue like, Q, Urinetown, that era. I I mean, I went to elementary school where the mascot was the Fighting Irish, so it is like a little. Anyway. <laughs> Uh, their mascot was the Explorers, um, which kind of a letdown. Um, she was the second of four sisters. Uh, her older sister. Sound familiar? We, <laughs> so did we discover in this episode both mine and Brian's elementary school mascots in the same episode? Or was that before? No, that was while we were recording the episode proper. No, yeah. we haven't mentioned. Raccoons? <laughs> <laughs> Could someone isolate that audio so it's Zach saying raccoons? Give me my new text alert. I see it in the waveform. It's uh, we're gonna make that a ringtone. Oh man! Or a raccoon tone for when you see raccoons out. (laughs) Um, Avoid them. They are often rabid. Uh, Her uh, older sister was Anna Bronson Alcott, and her two younger sisters were Elizabeth Sewell Alcott and Abigail May Alcott. Uh, Got the May in there twice, huh? Mm-hmm. Ran out of middle names. Well, because May was her mother's maiden name. Oh, um, fair enough. May didn't name. God damn it. Okay. Well, actually, I was going to say they changed the youngest sister's name. She had a different mm-hmm. middle name. Or maybe oh. it was Elizabeth, the the third sister, they got mad at the person who they named her after. So they changed yes. her middle name away from that <laughs> woman's name. Like, Bronson and Abba Alcott, her parents, definitely would not let anything stop them from just being petty. You were Elizabeth H.H. Holmes Alcott, but we're putting an end to that. <laughs> I'm mad at him. I love the pettiness. Of the, like, I love okay. that so much. Oh, hot timer's going off. Sorry, I'll cut around that. Sorry, baby. Oh, that's okay. We're also doing, like, dinner theater. Um. There was a um, a younger brother, uh, Frederick, born between Elizabeth and Abigail, but he died at only two days old. And just to get into uh, the background of her parents, who um, were both very, very interesting people in their own right, um, her mother... Uh, Abby May, Abigail May, uh, related to uh, John Quincy Adams, uh, actually, and uh, Salem witch trial judge but Samuel But not John Sewell. Adams somehow, which is weird. <laughs> no, they're related to the whole Adams family. Yeah. Uh, snap, snap. Damn it. I, my fingers were too moist to snap. Uh, the Brian Flynn story. Um, her, uh, her family was fairly prominent. Abby May herself was... Um, among the first paid social workers in the state of Massachusetts. Uh, she was very well educated, uh, for the, especially for the time. Uh, she was a uh, proponent of women's suffrage, abolition, uh, the temperance move it, movement, and she advocated for uh, people in poverty. Um, Louisa later, um, in I believe in one of her diaries, wrote about her that, quote, she always did what came to her in the way of duty and charity, and let pride, taste, and comfort suffer for love's sake. 
Yeah. If you're listening to this and you are someone who already knows the story of Little Women and you're thinking, gosh, this sure does sound <laughs> like the story of Little Women, um, you'll often see the book referred to as semi-autobiographical because it basically is and ABBA is Marmee. ABBA as Marmee in <laughs> Mamma Mia 3 Little Women? I was kidding. <laughs> Marmee Mia? Oh, no. Marmee Mia is Marmee Mia. But called. I was saying, if we had more time, coming up with another ABBA lyric to make a Little Women pun about would have been my life's mission. I'm trying. I'm like straining right now to think of it. Um, listeners, if you... If you think of any ABBA lyrics that might be might adapted also be to little women little puns, women. please <laughs> write in. I'll pay you cash. <laughs> Whoa, okay. Cool. I will leave, actually work on this. Leave a written review on iTunes that's ABBA Little Women lyrics. <laughs> um, her father, also uh, Amos Bronson Alcott, uh, formerly uh, named Al- Alcox. Uh, Alcox or Al? Alcox. It's Alcox, and I think it's hilarious that he changed it when he was in junior high. Yeah. <laughs> that is not a coincidence. What's yeah. your name, Bronson Alcox? Okay, dude. <laughs> uh, actually, it's, it's Alcott now. <laughs> it's Alcott now. You can't make fun of me. <laughs> so, so he, he was like, what, like 12 when he yeah. changed his name? Yeah. He was, like, already, like, graduating school at that point, though, because you have to remember this was dem olden times. Yeah. So he was, like, He was well, a ye old Doogie Hauser. I'm, <laughs> I'm 12. It's time to become a traveling salesman now. Back when Doogie Hauser was, like, a series of, like, picaresque novels written in the newspaper over the course of a year. About, like, a soot-covered boy who had no choice but to try to heal people for a few scraps of food. Trying to just, like, leech people at a very young age. This is way past the time of leeches. Um... He uh, he was a in fact a uh, a teacher uh, and was sort of a reformer of the education system. He he believed education shouldn't be painful for children. Um, and there was a um, there's a sort of disconnect though between mm. what he advocated for in public How life. How else are you gonna learn though? <laughs> no pain, no gain in knowledge, as the saying goes. As X. Whips a ruler across his across his waiting fingers. I don't like Chicago anymore. I want to go back and live with Brian again. <laughs> yeah, Zach's too scary. Uh, oh no! Oh no! Zach's in the red room. Okay. No <laughs> I will. I will drop in if you want to hear more about Bronson Alcott schools. Mm-hmm. You can check out the bonus episode of my podcast called Bronson Alcott Schools, and we can go, we'll go into detail about um, yes. all his weird and interesting techniques. Yeah. Um, which, and weirdly about the Star Trek sequels, also. <laughs> <laughs> um, which, yeah, definitely wanted to touch on him, but I didn't want to go into too much depth and depth and focus on uh, Louisa May more. But both of her parents' lives had huge influences on her. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Um, also, Amos uh, Amos Alcox, um, <laughs> gross, sorry, uh, was a vegan before that was really a thing. Um and he was a prominent member of the Transcendentalist movement. Oh, at this point, we're just calling him Bronson. Bronson? Okay, perfect. Yeah. <laughs> now I just think of him as Tom Hardy. Um, <laughs> just like a greased-up Tom Hardy. Yeah, he did become a famous Transcendentalist thinker under the name Bronson Alcott. <laughs> yes. It has a more of a ring to it somehow. Yeah, yeah. than Amos Alcott. Which I is- think that sounds good. That's like a saloon. 
Amos Alcox. He didn't yeah. want to run a saloon. <laughs> yeah. Why not? It's like, great if you're a fucking saloon keeper. Which is a valid choice. I mean, I yeah, don't... Yeah, saloon keepers are fine. They have those doors that aren't real doors that swing. <laughs> that aren't real doors. <laughs> that seems like something Bronson would have advocated for. He would have been like... Get real Do- doors on No, saloons. he would have been like, doors separate us from nature and from our fellow man. And yeah. we need to have these swinging partitions to remind us to invite the spirit of God into our hearts every day. <laughs> yeah. Uh, transcendentalism. I'm not, I'm not kidding. Yeah, that's transcendentalism for you. Uh, I really... Transcendentalism is one of the only things I remember from 10th grade English. So, um, but... He, he was prominent enough in this movement that he was, like, cro- close friends with uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson, Henry David Thoreau, uh, and they were sort of close friends of the family. Um, he was – he could be uh, pretty harsh towards his children, particularly Louisa May. Um, she was sort of the most headstrong of the sisters, um, which sort of like him um, – but other than being a disciplinarian, it seems like he wasn't necessarily, like, a fully invested parent. Like, he was more into his ideas about society. I think he was a really cerebral guy. Like, even other transcendentalist thinkers at the time would say that his books and papers were, like, unreadable. <laughs> completely confusing. Like, his lectures were very popular, but his written texts were not. And um, I agree with you that, like, they were the most alike, and that was part of the reason why he came down on Louisa, whose nickname was Lou. And in the original draft of Little Women, Joe's name is Lou. So take that how you will. When you, when um, you, I was going to say, also, as we'll see later, I think Bronson was somehow – I mean – it's not fair to diagnose people from this distance, and we've talked about it before, but he was probably mentally ill. There are depressive episodes that are definitely documented where he, like, wouldn't eat and wouldn't get out of bed, and I wouldn't call that healthy. <laughs> when you say he was more focused on his ideas about society, you make it sound like he was the basis for the 2019 film Joker. <laughs> uh, the 2019 film Joker. Like, okay. He would have been into that. Uh, <laughs> no, you don't. Under- I, I can't quote Joker. I have not seen it. Um, <laughs> just going to try. Just gonna, this sounds like it'd be in Joker. at the board. Be ah, like- Batman. <laughs> oh, Saul Batman. Yeah. <laughs> um. Sorry. Um, so a lot of, given sort of like that disconnect, um, uh, Abby May carried a lot of like the everyday burden of like actually caring for the children. Um, also which, begging that prominent family for money. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, and uh, the parents, I'm going to get into more of like, more details of their lives, but uh, just in giving like sort of the background, the parents served as uh, station masters on the Underground Railroad. Uh, this would have been around the time that Louisa May Alcott was 15. Wait, what year was this? Uh, she was born in 1832, so she was 15 and was 47. Oh, this is way earlier than I thought it was. Mm-hmm. Holy shit. Yeah, um, so she actually set Little Women in like the current era she was writing about when she wrote it as a as like a woman, but her girlhood takes place before the Civil War. It's confusing. Even when I was researching it for my project, I was like, she went and became a civil, I mean, I don't want to get too ahead of herself, but she went and became a Civil War nurse and it's not at all what you would expect. It's like Primer. 
<laughs> yeah, it's exactly like Primer. What's uh, Primer? It's a time travel movie where the timeline is famously very confusing. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, so uh, also during this time, they uh, the family did have conversations with Frederick Douglass. I don't know how like close to the family he was. I don't think very. I think um, they were traveling in the same academic circles. Yeah. Um, but Louisa May Alcott, she did, uh, she read, like, the Declaration of Sentiment- Sentiments, uh, from the, uh, Seneca Falls Convention, um, later on in her life when, uh, she was living in Concord, Massachusetts, uh, the town made it legal for women to vote in local matters concerning education and children, um, Thanks! Yeah. Oh my god, thank you! Oh my god, thank you! <gasps> Sorry, I had to put that in no, there. No, that's exactly what that deserves. You're welcome. The look on Jen's face when you said that needed some sort of audible, oh, audible something. Um, You're welcome, we did it. <laughs> Um, I'm never going back to Chicago. <laughs> <laughs> um, she when when the town uh, did that, uh, she was the first to register. Um, so the family was very poor. Um, even though um, Abba May um, came from a wealthier family, and a lot of that is down to uh, Amos Bronson Alcox uh, Alcott. Sorry, it's very hard not yeah, to say. Yeah, after that childhood, that's really not his name. I'm not trying to be a nitpick. It's just like not what we call I know, him I ever. Know, I know. Uh, <laughs> I am. Here's a way I fun, am no, Here's a fun way of remembering it. The high school in Clueless is Bronson Alcott High. Mm. Yes, that yeah. is true. Um, but the. His situation basically forced the family to move around a lot. But the high school in Heathers is this Amos Alcox. <laughs> <laughs> what is the high school in Heathers? I don't know. Uh, no, we need to. We need to. No, don't look it up. <laughs> Westerberg, <laughs> Westerberg High, Westerberg. Okay. Sorry, got it. Never seen Heathers. <laughs> sorry, sorry, <laughs> sorry. Could we shut down the podcast? Could we shut down the podcast? Shut down. <laughs> Is this is this a bad time to tell Shannon that I've never read Little Women? I actually way understand not having read Little Women because such a long book compared to not having seen a short movie from the eighties. You know, like I'm not mad. I'm, anyone true. can watch what they want to watch, and I'm never upset. I'm only surprised. I'm not like, how dare you for real? That's why Zach took my mic away. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> Brian only likes the TV remake of Heather's. Oh no, no, that is not true. He likes how problematic it is. <laughs> yeah, it makes me feel alive. <laughs> JWs are the real trans people are the real nope. bullies. White men no, are the victims Brian after all. Thanks, Heather's. That never happened. Uh, attractive white women actually are the only ones getting picked on. And uh, attractive white men. And it's all because of people who are overweight and non-gender conforming. Anyway, anyway. I was planning a wholesome tangent about the high school from Bratz. Radicalize uh, yourselves by watching Heather's tonight. And the high school from Bratz is Carrie Nation High. Good yep. call. Um, that is creepy. Yeah. And fun. And fun. Oh, wait, my favorite part of that, that is their, their uh, symbol for the school is an axe. Literally the symbol for fascism as yeah. a movement. 
Yes. But but it makes sense because Carrie Nation chopped up bars. I know, I know, but oh. it's still <laughs> an axe is still the symbol of fascism. I literally didn't know that. Symbol. No, I but I literally didn't know that about the axe. I literally I literally yeah. did not know that. And, and their colors are the like red and black. It's not a great look for them. No, I I believe you. I'm just saying I personally, as someone who enjoys history, did not know that. And also John Boyd. Uh, being the principal, not a great look for Another that symbol of fascism. Yes. <laughs> great car, though. Um, so dumb. Um, so one of, um, one of Bronson Alcott's, um, we can call it like an experimental school, yeah. I guess, um, in Boston, uh, never, was never really consistently, um, consistently strong, let's say. And consistently profitable? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's true. Um, he did, uh, he was known for, um, making sure women attended classes, uh, and attended his lectures. Uh, and although it seems more like as sort of a fuck you gesture, included, uh, at least one African American student in his classes. Yeah, an African American woman, or a girl, I should say. Um, but when Louisa May Alcott was eight, um, the school failed. Uh, and the family is forced to move from Boston to uh, a co- a cottage in Concord, Massachusetts, which was uh, fairly idyllic. Um, this was not um, this was not hillside. Uh, this was just another nice little cottage. Um, three years later, they moved with another family to the Fruitlands, uh, Fruitlands. Amos Alcox and the Fruitlands. <laughs> <laughs> guys, guys, come on. It's Alcott and it's Fruitlands. That sounds like a folk band that would open for the Funke family band. Yes, I'm just thinking that. <laughs> Team of Cell. Um, it was called Fruitlands even though at the time when they moved in, it only had 10 apple trees. That were like noticeably shitty according to every <laughs> primary source. It's like a Greenland Iceland thing. Yeah, yeah, it's exactly. Um, Should have moved to the Stonelands. <laughs> <laughs> um, the Fruitlands commune was conceived in part by her father and uh, funded by uh, Charles Lane, which I wrote Charles Lane and then parentheses Brit. Uh, and my third state in parentheses, Charles Lame. <laughs> and then in parentheses, after that, it's like, keep in show. <laughs> Super burn. Yeah. Um, Ableist question mark? <laughs> this guy who has a barely any role, we're just going to cast dispersions. <laughs> You'll see. Just go to the graveyard and point at a grave and be like, look at this racist. <laughs> Ryan and I know the history. You're learning. (laughs) Um, The commune eventually uh, encompassed 14 residents and uh, 10 acres where they planted grains, vegetables, and fruit, uh, but did not take. uh, The crop basically failed uh, in their first winter. uh, And it took took Bronson a while to accept this, even though his family was... Starving, we could say. Yeah, Fruitlands was even more eccentric than I think people might be imagining. Like, the Alcott's were vegetarian, like, I think almost shading over to the point of being vegan, which obviously I completely respect. But Bronson also didn't think that they should eat vegetables that grew down in the earth because they were going down towards hell. 
Like, he thought that potatoes and carrots were the devil's instruments. So the, his little girls were starving to the point where his wife is like, I will leave you and go back to my wealthy family with our children if we don't leave this fucking wasteland. Like, yeah. team Abba May for a life. He he was such a high-minded person, but he was also a total nut. Yeah. Um, also, Team Potatoes. Yes, uh, Team Potatoes, too. We got a Brian Flynn and a Shannon Camp, a couple of Irish folks over here a talking of potatoes. <laughs> fuck carrots. <laughs> <laughs> they know what fuck they did. Fuck carrots. Zach, don't be so graphic on your own podcast. <laughs> You have not listened to this show, apparently. <laughs> also, carrot swap on. <laughs> oh, <laughs> sorry. I can delete that. Not hygienic. Not, no, not, not in the least. Although uh, carrot exchange programs are, I support needle exchange programs. I shouldn't make fun. Um, anywho. I was thinking of them as dildos, not needles. Uh, oh, no, I was too. And then I was like, <laughs> Clearly they were dildos. I want to back off the dildo. Everybody knew they were dildos. <laughs> back off the dildo and get right back on, son. <laughs> Watchmen, episode three. Yay! Um, also, look, I think I looked at Jen's face when that scene came up, and I, I'm trying to describe, like, I'm trying to conceive of your look when Sally Jupiter, not Sally Jupiter anymore, yeah. took that giant Dr. Manhattan dildo out of the case. I didn't... There was definitely a few seconds when I was like, what? Is that... Uh, uh. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't Sally the mom and Lori Silk Spectre too? Yes. Yes. Oh, yes. yes. Silk Spectre. Yes. Sorry. Um, it was very upsetting. <laughs> Uh, it was Lord. so big. I was like, Thank girl, you. I respect like, wanting to fuck a dildo of your ex, but like, but that one? What? That model? Really? They could have done better. Like, we yeah. we saw the Shape of Water dildo in the artistry <laughs> that went into that, and just this either, lazy Dr. Manhattan dildo. Totally unrealistic or deeply upsetting. And devastating. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like on a deep level. <laughs> well, it, it might be like fucking like a extreme hot wing challenge sort of thing it also made me regret all of the jokes that i made about when do we get to see dr manhattan's dick <laughs> which there were a lot even though we only watched two episodes i say girl just buckle up <laughs> <laughs> it becomes like a real sex episode at that point um so louisa may <laughs> louisa may thank you i do uh, i do think if Something that if I something that might as well be on my gravestone is everybody knew they were dildos. <laughs> like why not? That seems I like think a good cause people to ask questions of like how you died. <laughs> as sort of the canary in the coal uh, mine of dildos. Alright. That's um, enough dildo talk. A lot of this is gonna get cut, right? We no, we have five minutes, <laughs> mandatory five minute dildo talk every episode. <laughs> That's my favorite Saturday Night Live episodes. sketch. <laughs> We have a little theme song for it that comes in and out. <laughs> uh, boom, 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 boom. Okay, no one picked up on that. <laughs> uh, so after the family bounced around a while, after uh, Fruitland's kind of uh, staying in a lot of rental places, um, eventually uh, they moved 22 times in 30 years. Um, eventually, uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson helps them out, and they buy a, uh, a homestead in Concord, Massachusetts, called Hillside, uh, where they stayed for seven years. And uh, 
eventually selling it to Nathaniel Hawthorne. <laughs> Forgive me, but didn't Ralph Waldo Emerson live in like a shack in the middle of nowhere? Wasn't that like Thoreau. his deal? Okay, maybe I'm thinking of Thoreau. Who does come into this story later because he's more closer to Louisa's age and she roasts him publicly. Nice. Oh, I don't have that. Uh, <laughs> oh, she said yeah. that his neck beard would preserve his virginity in perpetuity. Oh, yeah. That is such a sick burn. Oh, yeah. my God. So Thoreau, I'm pretty sure, is the one with the shitty hygiene. Emerson was the one with the fat stacks. <laughs> <laughs> I really least, need to read Little Women. Yeah, the stacks to get the family into the house, the hillside, that did become the setting for where most of the stories that inspire the book take place. Okay. Um, was it Thoreau or Emerson who got arrested for civil disobedience? And the part that they always leave out is that his aunt just bailed him out. I think that was Thoreau. That sounds that's, like Thoreau too. That's Thoreau. Okay. Um, Thoreau is kind of like a notorious, like, like I don't know, like fail son almost in some ways. At first, I don't know how else to put it. Like that sounds overly harsh, and it probably is, but. I mean, he's the least readable of the Transcendentalists. Anyway. Except for Bronson. Except for Bronson. Uh, uh, so Louisa May, uh, she wasn't formally educated, uh, but she did have uh, some tutors and receives part of her education from Emerson, Thoreau, Nathaniel Hawthorne, Margaret Fuller, Julia Ward Howe. A lot of people, again, sort of associated with the Transcendentalist movement. She was probably a lot more actually educated than even young men of the era who oh, had yeah. formal schooling because her parents, even her dad who could be harsh on her did encourage like a certain amount of free thought and creative expression that was unheard of for the time. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, going with her education though, uh, the family's like level of poverty meant she was forced into work at an early age. Uh, she worked as a teacher, a seamstress, a governess, a, uh, domestic servant and as a writer um her sisters also worked primarily as seamstresses only um may the youngest was able to attend school um excuse me i got wine burps (laughs) um and sort of the pressure in part um in her life uh, especially like the economic pressure her family faced led her to like pursue writing as like a creative outlet um that's like oversimplifying it but um i think that was definitely part of the thing that pushed her um her first book um was actually a collection of short stories written for ellen emerson ralph waldo emerson's daughter uh called flower fables uh published in 1849 there were like 1600 copies printed and she ended up making like 35 dollars from it um which he was like, that's not a lot, but whatever. Uh, not a direct quote. Um, <laughs> I mean, counted for a lot more back then. Yeah, but don't get the wrong idea. Louisa definitely like cared about making money. Like oh, yeah. she was a very creative spirit. But I agree with Brian that like uh, as much as writing was an outlet for her in terms of her career as an author, she was like pay me and i love her for that like she was leaning in before way before (laughs) cheryl sandberg she was thrusting herself across the table like give me that money (laughs) there was a quote i didn't write down where she talked about basically like i don't want to be poor ever again i don't blame her if you grow up starving yeah 
Um, yeah, she's an inspiration for the Laura Dern character in Big Little Lies. <laughs> I refuse to be not rich or whatever. <laughs> she's gonna. She, Louise has got a while before she can even say something like that. Um, the 1850s. She spent uh, a lot of time at the Boston Theater and started writing plays. Also, uh, one play called The Rival Prima Donnas. Uh, she wrote, but uh, eventually burned because it was in. What I read was sort of vague. It said it was inspiring, like, rivalry between the two actresses playing the leads. And she didn't want to, like, contribute to that, basically. Um, so she just burned that shit. Um, How odd, but nice. Yeah. <laughs> um, it doesn't sound like her problem. <laughs> I can understand that, though, as, like, a big sister who probably grew up her whole yeah. life solving other people's arguments. <laughs> it's just instinct kicking in. If I was a supporting character who was cast in that, it was just like, well, fuck. <laughs> what did I do? No, and now like I don't have a job anymore. It's Godot. It's just two people. <laughs> um, even though Godot. It, anyway. Um, then in 1856, uh, her sister Elizabeth uh, comes down with scarlet fever while staying with a German family. Don't know why I wrote down so specifically that it seems like I'm slamming Germans. No, that's all in Little Women. This is yeah. directly Beth that's goes to help German like, immigrants and gets sick and, and that's when she's what you get when you go down to Germantown. Also, fuck Germans. Oh, oh spicy! Spicy takes this episode. I'm I'm mostly German, I guess. I'm also oh, so part I'm German, German, so we can all say it? Question mark? Yeah, I mean, also fuck Germans because... Um, they would say it too. They're, um, right, they're okay now. So she she recovers, but she's weakened and sort of begins a slow decline. And in early 1858, uh, takes a turn for the worse. Uh, in February, she begins refusing medicine, uh, telling her father, I believe, uh, I can best be spared of the four. Um, and in March of that year, she dies in her sleep at age 22. Uh, Louisa is 25. Um, yeah, I was just going to throw in, um, if anyone would like to know more about Elizabeth, the best writing out there about her was just published this year. Carmen Maria Machado wrote an essay about her. I cannot recommend it highly enough. I won't say anymore. That sounds amazing. But also, I'm wondering, like, what year was this? This was like mid-1800s? 58. Like, how much good was medicine doing her... It's probably first torturing place. her. It was probably yeah. a hell. It was probably like leeches and mercury. Like also, she's probably actually, better off. I'll, I'll get to I'll get to mercury. It's oh, entirely yeah. possible also that mental illness reigned in the family and more than Bronson struggled with depressive episodes that could lay them extremely low. Uh, um, also, we should just like fuck up if you're trying not to if you never read Little Woman, you were waiting to watch the movie, didn't want to spoil. Oh, yeah. Yeah, basically a spoiler tag on this episode. Yeah. You had 151 years. <laughs> um. Also, I I knew that, like, no, you didn't spoil anything for me because I knew that because of the Friends episode where Rachel gets Joey to read Little Women and she reads, reads The Shining and they have a fight and they just yell spoilers at each other. <laughs> So I I knew that Beth died. I mean, I think it's known. It's a very well-known story. Also, yeah, it's been like 150 years. Yeah. I've had time. Um, you haven't been alive 150 years, though. You don't know or that. You've only had. No, but I've had like 30 years. I mean, that's enough. 
Anyway. Um, Can't spoil Psycho for a baby just because it's... <laughs> Um, You're right. You can't spoil Psycho for a baby. <laughs> Tell a baby the plot of Psycho. They'll be fine. They're a baby. <laughs> we can actually do this experiment soon. Yep. Yeah. Um, so uh, my sister is having another baby. Later. I was like, uh, yeah, it was like, what? <laughs> we were both looked at Jen like, um, is there something we don't know? As she knocks back that red wine. <laughs> um. Post an Instagram story of me smoking. Like, <laughs> Betty oh. Draper style, just mm-hmm. doing it up. Um, so uh, back to the sister dying. Um, <laughs> uh, so this is from Louisa's journal. Um, My dear Beth died at three in the morning after two years of patient pain. Last week, she put her work away, saying the needle was too heavy. Um, Saturday, she slept and at midnight became unconscious, uh, quietly breathing her life away till three. Then with one last look of her beautiful eyes, she was gone. Um, and some of that, uh, specifically, uh, the, the remark about the needle being too heavy is directly in Little Women. Yeah. Um, oh, even hearing you read it, I got choked up. This story is so close to my heart and it is almost unbelievable as someone who's been a fan of the book my whole childhood and life beyond that, how just like much of it is based in real events. It's, it's amazing. Um, and that same year, uh, her older sister, Anna, got married. Uh, so with one sister dying and the other getting married, uh, it's sort of the breaking up of, uh, their sisterhood. Um, and then in 1860, um, she begins writing for Atlantic Monthly, uh, and then the Civil War breaks out. Um, and she volunteers as a nurse in, like, Washington, D.C., uh, but after... Six weeks uh, after not not the long a time, uh, she comes down with typhoid uh, and nearly dies. Um, there, also, fuck Italy! Oh yeah. my god! There's a great book called Louisa on the Front Lines for anyone who's interested in learning more about her time as a nurse, mm-hmm. because um, in those six weeks, she was actually very impactful, and they were impactful on her. Uh, so. Yeah, I mean, I will get into it, but uh, it's a really cool book if you want to know more about one specific Civil War nurse and her very detailed primary source writings. Um, And just for reference, as we go on, a list of countries that Jen is okay with. Uh, We got Syria. We got North Korea. (laughs) Oh, my God. Are you Tulsi Gabbard? (laughs) She she peels off her mask. It was Tulsi all along. Oh, thank God. She's running for president and is okay with torture and homophobia. Um, that doesn't sound like me. No, no. I would never. I would never. <laughs> She's got kind of a Corella DeVille ha- hair thing going on. That sounds a little cool. <laughs> she just got like a... Or got it's a more like DeVille Rogue. Code of Dalmatians. It's like Rogue from X-Men. She's like a streak of white in her hair, but she's also crazy. Aww, yeah. She's got like a inverted Jay Leno. Um, yeah. So uh, some of uh, Louisa May's... Uh, letters uh and um some of her letters home were published in a boston area abolitionist newspaper and she wrote a fictionalized version of her time as a nurse which was published in 1863 as hospital sketches uh which is around the same time that she first sort of began receiving a lot of critical notice hospital sketches was a minor success her father panned it yeah um yeah what 
What did she? What did he? He say? said it has nothing of it in you that like shows the goodness of you at all, like as a writer or a person. Like he truly, I feel like he was jealous of her, almost maybe in some way. Like he could not handle her success, at least at first. I think eventually he did come around to Little Women itself. Well, clearly he was also a really shitty writer himself. Oh, so yeah. Like- he His writings are literally unintelligible. At the time, they were considered dense. Now they're considered obsolete. Mm-hmm. Um, she, um, I, I mean, we'll get to that a little bit when we talk about Little Women, but there's an arrangement with the publisher. Um, but stay tuned. Uh, she wrote sort of like pulp suspense novels under the pen name A.M. Bernard. Um <laughs> One of them was uh, a long fatal love chase, um, where uh, which is about a woman who sells her soul for love, uh, but finds that the man she falls for is actually the devil. Um, and uh, another one, Pauline's Passion and Punishment. Uh, and then around the same time, she anonymously anonymously published um, a modern almost. Metas- <laughs> <laughs> I thought if I just moved on, no one would notice. Um, Anonymously published, A Modern Mephistopheles, got that one right, in 1875, uh, which was some people around the same time falsely attributed that to uh, Julian Hawthorne, uh, Nathaniel's son, but nah. Um, Typical. Nepotism. (laughs) um, So she was asked then to to write a novel, uh, asked by a publisher to write a novel for young girls. And she hesitated. Um, she was not at all into the idea. Yeah, no. Not even a little bit. She, um, she, when a lot of things I was reading describe her as a tomboy growing up. And she was into um, hard sci-fi. Yeah. <laughs> 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 um, which, it's, it's like a weird term to use because it's not necessarily pejorative, but I feel like in the way it's used in the context of the time could be. For just, like, any girl who's outside, like, the typical, like... Gender uh, norms? Yeah. Um, Which Joe, as a character, very much is. Yes. For better or for worse. And there's been a lot of discussion on all sides about what that means for her as a character and what that means about Louisa May Alcott. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't know if you have any of this in your notes, but there has been speculation over the years about her sexuality. Uh, She may have been a queer woman. She may not have been. We'll never know. But I just wanted to put that out there as a possibility because it's very easy to look at all these figures. I do the same thing through a very, like, heterosexual yes. lens. Um, I mean, skipping ahead a little bit, there is, like, a quote from an interview she did um, where she said, I am more than half persuaded that I'm a man's soul put by some freak of nature into a woman's body because I've fallen in love with so many pretty girls and never once the least bit with any man, which... There's also reference that she deleted from her diaries about time she spent in Europe and having sort of a romance when she was a teenager with, like, a a Polish teen. Yeah, named Laddie, which sounds awfully like Lori. So, unfortunately, her own writings kind of contradict themselves. She'll write about having had affairs with young men. She'll write about never having been in love with men. So, it's just so interesting. I just wanted to throw that out there. I really am fascinated by her. And, I mean, it seems like some of the mentions, at least the ones that I found, of her relationships with men came from when she was, like, a teen. Yeah, it was which, definitely younger, her younger life. And she could have been bisexual, too. Yeah. Like, it's not an either-or situation. 
this sort of comes up when you're talking about Alice Sheldon too, yes. where like it's you don't have the same under like cultural understanding and also language to describe certain yes. things. Exactly. When these people are alive and sort of struggling with their own, you know, ideas about how they want to interact with the world. And so there's not there's not really an answer. Exactly. Which yeah. is like frustrating, but also really interesting. I'm okay with the ambiguity because I think she was a private person and she wouldn't have wanted us to know either way. Um, I just think it's a really interesting factor since Little Women has is so beloved that it's been dissected at this point from just every different possible lens. Mm-hmm. Um so sort of getting back to the publishing of Little Women, um, uh, the same publisher, uh, when Bronson was trying to publish a book, um, offered to publish his book only if he could get Louisa to write the book for young girls. Uh, so she did. Hell yeah! Her dad, like, literally was like, hey, <laughs> could, ya, could you do, could you throw me a bone? Pop-Pop gets a treat. Um, <laughs> Um, so she did, and she wrote about the thing that she knew about, like, being a young girl, which was her relationship with her sisters. And that they're smaller than normal women. (laughs) Yes, they are. (laughs) Which was the original title, Smaller Than Honey, I Shrunk the Women. (laughs) I will say, um, and I've touched on this on my own podcast, too, it is very interesting that Little Women is so true to her life, except for one thing. Dad isn't around. Dad's away at the war. Yeah, my dad's not here. Dad's away at the war, doing away things that aren't here, near me, not by me. (laughs) Um, so... (laughs) Sorry, it just kind of reminds me of how I never, ever write about siblings. Yeah. I'm just gonna leave that there. <laughs> Bronson's lucky she didn't kill Captain March off. <laughs> the original name was Captain Fartface. Uh, <laughs> um, so uh, Little Woman was published in two parts. But he changed it when he was in junior high. Almost <laughs> <laughs> all costs. That seems okay. Oh no. Um, uh, Little Woman was published in two parts, uh, 1868 and 1869, um, and was. An instant, basically, success. Yeah. Uh, the main characters, Meg, Joe, Beth, and Amy. Um, of course, there are obvious parallels between Meg and oldest sister Anna, Joan, Louisa, which we've discussed, uh, Beth and Elizabeth, um, and Abigail May and Amy. Uh, which and is Abigail fun... May went by May, so it's literally oh. an anagram of her name. <laughs> um, although, um, I already sort of read that part, uh, Joe marries in the end. Louisa never did. That was because of publisher pressure. Yeah. Sort of like, we all know what that's like when the corporation steps in to meddle with a work of fiction. It was just like that. Um, but like... Um, Shouldn't have sold it to Disney. <laughs> <laughs> that indeed is what I was driving at. We have J.J. Abrams, Little Women. Oh, no. He so. would have married her to Lori. Yeah. Which is blasphemy if anyone who <laughs> knows Little Women is listening to this. Um, so, I mean, we can touch on, like, the sort of characterizations a little bit because I'm not 
myself familiar with Little Women as deeply as you, obviously, Shane. Yeah, we don't need to go deep, but uh, we can touch on it. But Meg, um, being the oldest, who was sort of very, like, proper for the time and very, um, like, conforms to, like, the standards you would expect. Yeah, she has, like, a sense of, like, duty to be what you would think the oldest sister in a family would be. Um, and Joe, being Louisa, is not that. Um, and then you have Beth and Amy, who you can describe better than I could. Uh, Beth is very shy, uh, to the point where she basically doesn't go out in public, and very sweet and gentle, and, of course, very sickly, just like Elizabeth sadly was in real life. Um, Amy... Uh, May and Louisa had sort of a sibling rivalry. Uh, May was a very talented painter. She was actually a famous artist later in her life. Um, and they had sort of sibling rivalries, like the creative ones, the outspoken ones. So Amy in the book is, I think, the sister who sometimes some readers have a bit of a problem with. I love her because she's very much a little sister, a little bit annoying, very sassy, sort of gets in trouble, gets in the way sometimes, does naughty things she shouldn't, but I, I absolutely love her. And she, uh, real life, uh, May did like the illustrations for the first edition of Little Women, uh, which are hilarious. <laughs> um, not her best work. Yes. <laughs> um, but Little Women, wild success. Uh, there's other books in the Little Women verse, um, Little Men and Joe's Boys. Um, and there's technically four since Little Women was published in two parts, but it's most often collected into one now. Yeah, the second half of Little Women is called Good Wives, and the fandom as a whole was just like, no, <laughs> no, we're yeah. not going to call it that. But um, she was definitely under extreme pressure from the publishers to crank out those sequels. They are – some people love Little Men and Joe's Boys. I personally have never gotten into them. Um. So, and she's part of, like, a late 19th century group of, like, women writers who sort of address women's issues directly and, like, in a modern style in their writing. Um, I didn't write any of their other names down because it was very late when I was finishing this It's all this good. Up. We've been... Um, we've been getting into it. <laughs> uh, 1877, she helps found in Boston the Women's Educational Industrial Union, um, and then 1879, her younger sister, her youngest sister, May, uh, passes away. And Louisa takes in her niece, Louisa, uh, also called Lulu. Um, and when, uh, when during the Civil War, um, Louisa, um, <clears throat> excuse me, came down with typhoid, she was treated with a medicine called, uh, calomel, uh, not caramel. Um, calomel, not caramel, contains mercury. Um, and there's some interpretations that say, like, she so showed some signs over the course of her life of mercury poisoning, uh, like a weakened immune system, vertigo, uh, possibly hallucinations, and, uh, pain. Uh, she ended up even taking opium for the pain, which was the style at the time. Um, but a lot of people are not sure if she's was suffering from mercury poisoning later in her life or from an autoimmune disease like lupus. Um, but uh, she was definitely dealing with like a lot of those symptoms. Um, and then in 1888, she dies of a stroke when uh, her niece Lulu is eight. Oh. 
Um, and she is buried in Sleepy Hollow Cemetery, uh, near the graves of, uh, Emerson, Hawthorne, and Thoreau. And Bronson died three days before her, and he said, come with me, and she said, I wish I could. Yeah. That's some Sleepy Hollow shit for you yeah. right there. Yeah, yeah, I mean, like, it's interesting. They had such a fraught relationship, but he loved little women. I wonder if it was mm-hmm. because, like, for one, the dad is, like, a heroic and benevolent figure in yeah. a way that, honestly, Bronson never fully achieved in his life. And for two, she was writing about, like, real family incidents that I think he couldn't have helped but feel fond about. He um He did apparently, like, after the publication of Little Women publicly, like, publish a poem praising her uh, a lot of peas in that um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> the patriarch published a poem praising his progeny <laughs> pronto post publication <laughs> poppers sorry <laughs> um, and that's the weird Word note to end on for the actual history of Louisa May Alcott alright so many peas uh, let's Move right along. Alternate history. Uh, Shannon, get ready. Go on ahead. Great. So our alternate history, or maybe the real history, that'll be for you folks to decide, mm-hmm. picks up in 1843 when Louise Mayalcott was 12 years old and the family moved to the Fruitlands Commune with <laughs> Charles Lane and the other family. How did I miss until just now that the Fruitlands Utopia is basically Fruitopia? Oh, it is described as a utopian commune. Um, Despite there being only 10 old apple trees on the property, the land turned out to be perfect for growing fruits and vegetables of all kinds. It actually turned out to be surprisingly, some might say miraculously, fertile land. Bronson successfully planted and grew plenty of fruits and vegetables that grew upward, like apples, (laughs) pears, different types of berries and vegetables like beans, squash, cucumber, and tomatoes. He was even prevailed upon to grow sweet potatoes because they grow on a vine. (laughs) Um, And he grew wheat. So even though the family didn't have potatoes and carrots to eat, they had flour for bread. A thing about Fruitlands um, that we didn't touch on in the real history, but it's true, is they wanted to stay shut off from the outside world. They wanted to mm-hmm. completely provide for themselves without animal labor. It was a purely meant to be a purely like agrarian mini society unto itself. But the land was so fertile that this actually happened to be successful. The Alcots and the Lanes had enough fruit and vegetables to feed themselves. And as the country slipped into turmoil in the lead up to the Civil War, more and more people came to Fruitlands to join them. So at its peak, the population of Fruitlands was more than 500 people working together on the land, which they kept buying up more and more properties with uh, profit that they could make from selling their fruits and vegetables when they did choose to engage with the local economy. As more and more people came to Fruitlands, Abba Alcott gained more power and status because she was the wife of the leader of the commune, and she took strides to make Fruitlands more gender equal. Women were allowed to have leadership positions in the commune, and the Alcotts also opened the commune up to people of all races. Communes, communes populations dipped slightly during the Civil War, but after the Civil War, 
Fruitlands was held up as an example, and communes became very trendy. In particular, there was a surge of African-American farming communes all across the South, where recently liberated slaves would join together to use their learning and their resources uh, to create these agrarian communes. And sometimes they would even use animal labor, which Bronson was against, but... Communes really became a thing after the Civil War in America. Uh, they started in New England near where Fruitlands was. Um, and then, like I said, really surged up in popularity in the South and sort of spread across America, peaking in fashion before World Wars One and Two. at which point their population declined and it became less fashionable to have this sort of isolationist policy of, you know, staying by yourself in your own little bubble. They -hmm. fell out of fashion, but a few still remain, and Fruitlands is studied as to how it relates to these modern American communes. Louisa never became a Civil War nurse because she was totally shut off from the outside world. While Fruitlands did sometimes harbor fugitive slaves and other people related to the Union cause, she never became a nurse. Uh, Bronson never went out to write and he never did lectures. He was famous in his own right for creating this incredibly successful vegan commune. And famous thinkers from all across America would actually come to Fruitlands to talk to them. So they didn't really go out into the world. And Louisa would talk to all these famous thinkers and she became really inspired to do creative writing in her downtime from all this intense farm work they were doing. And she started publishing short stories under a male pen name. Eventually, she wrote a book called Little Women about four sisters growing up on a utopian commune, Mm -hmm. including one who died. It was considered far too politically radical for its depiction of a gender-equal commune and mentions of abolitionist politics, as well as veganism and non-traditional Christianity. So it was never published, and it languished in obscurity among her family's possessions. Louisa lived out the rest of her days on Fruitlands. She may have had romantic relationships with men or women because hundreds of people came in and out of the commune of all different backgrounds and religious and political beliefs. So we'll just never know. But she did. And you know Fruitlands, like she did. Yeah, everyone wants to stop by Fruitlands at least once in their life. It was considered they called it like <laughs> <laughs> quintessential, quintessential Americana because it really sparked this whole movement. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, she lived. In an interesting life on the commune, but never really achieved success as a writer. Um, she also never adopted her niece because her younger sister, May, never married a European husband and went to live in Europe where she contracted the, the disease that would kill her. So oh. Louisa was just fancy free. She didn't have any obligations to support her parents. They were financially taken care of. She didn't have to worry about her niece. That wasn't her problem. Uh, but she never achieved any success as an author. And without her, the genre of young adult lit floundered. This was considered the dark ages of children's literature because there were no good options for children, especially young women, to read about where they could have role models or inspiration. So it wasn't until more of the early 1900s with books like the Oz series and Anne of Green Gables coming from Canada where girls finally started to have some amazing young women role models. And the absence of uh, little women, let's just say, it was really felt in this alternate timeline. 
Then in the 1960s, with the whole, you know, hippie culture taking rise, there was a renewed interest in... <laughs> Sorry, you said that like a concerned parent of oh, the 1960s. Oh, no, no, I mean, it's a good thing. With a resurgence of interest in this sort of thing, um, there's renewed interest in Bronze and Alcott and Fruitlands. So um, even though the family was like barely known at all, scholars kind of rediscover Bronson and Abba Alcott in the 1960s. And uh, when someone who's writing a book about Fruitlands is at the property looking through old historical artifacts, they find an old, rotting, battered, handwritten manuscript called Little Women. At that point in the 1960s, Little Women is published for the first time ever. Um, it's considered to be incredibly radical for its politics, just like it was in its time. And it's a cult smash hit that's mentioned alongside other counterculture books like On the Road and Howl because it's so unique and its politics are so wild and out there. To be fair, it's probably also better than <laughs> On the Road and Howl. Um, it's adopted by the Jesus movement and other hippie Christianity sects during the 60s and 70s for its non-traditional Christianity. And quotes from this commune version of Little Women are at times, sadly, even taken out of context and used as pro-cult propaganda by cults. That's why the commentators at Fox News hate Little Women. <laughs> Considered to be one of the most disgusting and inappropriate books for young women published by the right. The left obviously still loves it as a classic. Uh, today, it's considered hugely ahead of its time. Of course, we all remember the first miniseries of the story was made in the 1970s on the heels of the success of the publication of the book. Then there were movie versions in the 80s and 90s, as well as a rock musical that was similar <laughs> to Hair. And then Little Women fatigue set in. So there hasn't been a version of Little Women since the 90s. And that's all. There's not a, there's not a version where they're all cats. By any chance? <laughs> Not yet. Okay. Little kittens. Oh. Oh, I like it. Little kittens. <laughs> Shannon, thank you. Yeah. You're welcome. That's my version of what if Little Women weren't published in its time. Um, before we uh, before we move on, I just want to say we talked about you maybe leaving a little written review, listeners. Uh, why don't you uh, take the time to do that on your podcast service of of choice, iTunes. Spotify, uh, Google Play. Does Spotify have reviews? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> you can I, subscribe on it. I, I use the Apple Podcast. I think it's podcast. basically just iTunes. Pretty much yeah. iTunes, people. Um, but if you can leave a review, do it. It's super helpful, and my voice just cracked. Hey, writing reviews helps me go through puberty, so <laughs> why don't you do it? Um, I'm way overdue. Doesn't the judge need to judge which one of us is worthy? Oh, yeah, the very last thing. I think you may have forgotten part of your podcast. No, no, that's, we do that after class. Oh, after you beg for reviews? Yeah. Yes. Okay. <laughs> because people will just turn it off. Yeah, that's, that's the theory. Um, so uh, you can also find us at revisionistpodcast.com where you can write us a letter uh, or look at our pictures uh, or find us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Um, uh, my brain is broken. Uh, what? I've been taking pictures. Oh, thank you. Um. Willow features heavily. Yes. <laughs> as it should be. Um, um, I mean, Shannon, you want to plug the, uh, the podcast one more time? Yeah. So you can check out Little Women and 
a modern audio drama, which as I mentioned, really extensively covers the story both in like an episode by episode format and some family friendly, um, nonfiction interviews. And you can find all the info you need about that at www.littlewomenpodcast.com. Awesome. Uh, Zach, did you want to mention anything? Uh, I'm also on that. So <laughs> Yeah, Zach's on that, and he helps me a lot with it, and it's great. I'm trying to think if I have anything. Yeah, I mean, I'll plug some $5 wine. <laughs> <laughs> it did us right. It's true. I am uh, totally uh, drunkified. Um, great. So dumb. I'm going to put all the knives away. Thank you. <laughs> away. Uh, put the sharp cats Put the away. mercury away. <laughs> oh, it's so tasty. I can bring it all back around. Uh, you know, I don't think I have anything to plug right now. So uh, I believe Judgment falls to Zach. Uh, so this is an interesting one because I think this is truly the first time in, history, in the history of the podcast where somebody took an alternate history that was just like a plausible thing that could happen in the you real world. You think it's world? plausible that... African-American separatist communes could spring up all over the South? I think that would be so cool, but is it possible? Plausible? I mean, compared to... Compared to, like, alien fuckfests. I was trying to come up with, Teleportation. (laughs) The emperor of China was born in Michigan to rednecks. uh, You know, George Washington was two kids on a long coat. Yeah, this is... With my no, this is by far the most plausible alternate oh. history that has ever been on the show, I think. Brian, do you agree with that? I, I tend to agree, yes. <laughs> you described it as spicy when you walked in, and I was like, cool, let's see what let's see what spicy means in this context. You're the one who called it fucklins. Uh, that's true. Yeah, that's not part of that was something we added. <laughs> it was implied. <laughs> it's value added. It's it could be fucklins now. I actually thought when you started talking about like all the commune stuff i was afraid you were gonna go in like a direction of like the um the bhagwan tree rajneesh cults mm. like oh, i was no. thinking, like are they gonna all like i could have but honestly it wasn't in me to come up with something that harsh i, I like think yours better honestly yeah, honestly because the there's I- no murder but yeah. the idea to me of a world where we don't get good young adult lit for another 40 years is sad. Like, I know that sounds like, oh, nothing, but that's like generations no, that's of girls who didn't have anyone or anything But you also like introduced that. like a utopian com- a commune movement. I know, I prefer my version where uh, people could no, live free like in utopian communes. Almost- I'm saying I tried to balance like good yeah. and bad things. I give up. No, no, no. It is like in many aspects better than our current reality. The butterfly yeah. effect. What about the butterfly effect? Oh, butterfly effect does not exist in this universe. <laughs> Yeah, Ashton Kutcher didn't sign on, so it kind of fell apart. I was trying to make Luisa's wings flap in the Amazon, goddammit. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, our Jack the Ripper mini, like, contest ended with, I think, someone who kept having accidents where they accidentally butchered people. Like, they started as a barber and then became something else. Well, then, like, if I'm ever on this again, I'm going to play to win. I'm going to yeah. come in with something I'm not totally saying you didn't win. Bonkers. We haven't made the judgment yet. I'm just saying it is the most plausible actual history. And I'm saying that. That's valid. I like yeah, that. Yeah, no. Spicy, um, but it could be spicier. Yeah. I mean, it's usually fuckboy comedians. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you want? You got a fuck girl comedian this time. <laughs> Deal with it. I'm also definitely voting for yours. Oh, oh yeah. I was going to say, um, 
I learned in the real history that the greatest gift that a man could bestow on a woman is when it comes to matters relating to women and children, and this is both, <laughs> to give women the power to vote. And Boo. I was thinking Jen Boo. should have the power to vote. That's the most condescending reason ever. Boo! This is now a booing of you. <laughs> What, four years in? I think this is the first time I've ever seen Brian make that, like, fake jerk-off motion. Oh, no. I mean, it's an audio medium. I oh. make it all the time. His head was in his elbow. I thought he was dabbing. Oh. <laughs> no, I, I can't Way look. Way more unlikely. I can't look at the jerk-off motion because it's so obscene, yeah. so I kind of hide my Brian eyes. Brian dabs every episode. <laughs> it's true. Uh, we'll give two. Okay, so Jen's vote counts, and uh, heard, I'll vote for myself. the alternate, too. We'll vote two votes for the alternate. It's going to get an extra head start. Uh, Listeners, you can uh, have your say. There's going to be a poll on Instagram next Wednesday, uh, whatever date that is. I didn't look it up. Uh, Uh, 31st? The first. uh, Yes, the first. New New Year's Day. New poll. Um, So check that out. Votes for women in 2020. Yeah. (laughs) Please vote for a woman in 2020, guys. (laughs) Jesus fucking Christ. As always, before you vote in our uh, poll, fill out the survey that says whether you're a man or a woman, so we know whether to count your <laughs> vote. <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, for everybody else, you're only <laughs> counting women's votes, right? <laughs> uh, sure. <laughs> uh, for everyone here at The Revisionist, I'm Brian Flynn. I'm Zach Powers. Shannon, thank you. Jen, thank you. You're welcome. Have a good time. 